Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to one day early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The Fearless Curious Soul, Goldilocks Productions presents The Deep Reading, <laughs> connecting you to your soul show. Hello, this is Suzanne Wyman, The Deep Psychic. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. Please think about the commentary that you can relate to it and see if it is an answer to a question you have about prayers or how the universe supports you. I want you to feel included. If you feel as if the conversation speaks to you, it speaks to you. And uh, I also want you to know that you are part of something greater than yourself. The universe supports you. The universe has your back. And the universe is interested in answering the questions that you have today. So today's show is a little bit different because I'm going to be talking about the journey, the process that people go through in order to... Um, reach an objective, a dream, a goal in their life. So I personally have found that your own advice, your own support, and your own understanding of what is best for you is often the very best advice that you're going to get. So I tell people this is your life. Um, you're the person who knows how to advise yourself best, and I really do believe in that. 
<clears throat> in fact, I can think of several times in my life when I knew my own advice was better, but I followed somebody else's advice because they insisted that they were more knowledgeable. So your your own personal advice for you is is best. So um, there are some exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, that's how I view it. Um, a journey, an actual physical journey of actually going to a destination, I've seen that completely change people's worldview, change their ideas about what's relevant, what's important, and what has meaning for them. I've also seen people that got themselves involved in a journey in order to obtain their life's dreams, and um, that has been just as important as taking a physical um, journey. So... I'm ready to take a caller, and uh, let's do the conversation of my first caller. And Okay. So it is about your life's work that we're going to be talking about today. And uh, John, John, how are you? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Can you speak up just a smidge? Just a little bit louder. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can hear you better now. Very good. Okay, good. Yeah, hi. Yeah, John. How long have you and I known each other? Oh my goodness, forty years. <laughs> I know. I know. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Um, it's time. So, yeah. Well, I've been so, married 30, 39 years to Stephanie, so. We knew each other before that, I think. First time I met Stephanie, Matthew was four months old. Oh, okay. So he's, okay. 30, he's 38 now, so yeah. 38 years, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I've seen you through a different differences in your life. Share, share with the audience what it is, because you're extremely talented, you've had some extraordinary successes, you've done some extremely unique things <clears> with your life, along with ra- getting married, raising a family, and all yeah. of those conventional things. But you, you've done some things that are extremely interesting, and so just, just do that for us. Explain that to us, that journey. Well, I, uh, I had a career in broadcast television and television production for 30 years and uh, the high points of that were I don't know being a cameraman for Johnny Cash show in Nashville and then I produced five Olympics uh, or four Olympics I was on the organizing committee in LA which was exciting mm-hmm. and then I did a lot of important work I thought child abuse child sexual abuse um, mm-hmm. all kinds of medical education programming as do, okay. as a documentary maker, as a documentary filmmaker. Okay. And then, uh, then I decided to go into teaching, and I okay. moved to Orange County, which, out of L.A., which is a big move. But uh, I found a high school that wanted to hire me, and I was a teacher in video production for 25 years. So wow. that was kind wow. of a 55-year journey. 
So <clears throat> you still, I mean, John, you still got a lot of knowledge to share. You've got a lot of great talent. Um, you've got good energy. Um, definitely at this point in time in your life, you have a piece of freedom that I don't think you've ever really had before. So right. um, because you are, you are the, um, you know, you do the documentaries, but you also have a, a visual quality that you really can't put into words, that you can't explain. So recently you did a, um, a film of my husband painting the NAM opening conference uh, of the drum circle. And when right. I looked at it, I, I thought, how can I explain to somebody that John knew he had to take and leave that area, go up the stairs and find a totally different perspective in order to take and really bring that into a place of feeling. Because when I look at that, I don't feel like I'm looking at a film. I feel like I've actually come into the scene and I'm actually there. And that's, oh, good. The, difference, that's the difference between videographers or you, who is basically a person who's keeping documents, is doing a type of journalism and is creating a dynamic experience, and the person, the person who is uneducated doesn't know what it is, but they feel different after they observe your work. And that's profound. Great. Yeah, thank you. No, no, no. Thank you, John. But you can now, for the very first time in your life, there's no concerns about um, anything. It's just you and your dream. Right. and. If you could do anything in your dream, not, not thinking about all of the obligations that you fulfilled for your family um, or um, any of those other obligations that you've done for a lifetime, what would you choose to do? What would make you feel really excited and connected? Well, that's the $24,000 question. I mean, <laughs> after you know, not having to work any longer, or mm -hmm. retired now I can uh, I don't know if I want to you know do continue the video work I like doing the drum circle I gotta tell you there was a kind of freedom about it uh, because I wasn't getting paid because the client had no expectations they just you know there we were doing it so that's in a way, Rich has that. I mean, when he goes out and just paints or when you just give a reading, there's mm -hmm. that freedom. And I kind of like that, you know, without the monetary, the client pressure. And you have right. the deadlines and you have to – there's a whole difference when Rich paints a wedding and he has to turn it around and it has to be done and uh, are they going to like it and all that as opposed to just going out and painting something that, you know, he he sees and he likes. So there's there's that. I I was asked to do my church lesson, my sermon, uh, record the lessons for our church, and that's only 15 minutes a week. And that's okay. fun because I, I publish on YouTube, which is new to me. And so, yeah, I think... Like, uh, it's interesting. Uh, my own, <laughs> first I volunteer at a cat shelter and take care of my cats twice a week okay. for an hour. And 
I, I play with them, and I call the socializer, which is fun. I'm a volunteer. But then I, uh, I found I like putting puzzles together. So it's a very kind of metaphysical process where, I, like, I'm putting each piece together, and I don't know where it fits and how it's going to go, but either I can choose not to do it, you know, to give up and be frustrated, or I can push through and, um, you know, commit to completing the puzzle, which is what I want to do with my life. I want to commit to something, but I don't want to rush into it. And, and uh, so we'll see how, it, you know, how it plays. And I, I, I'm... No, experimenting with different kind of sports and go kayaking and go, but I can't, you can't do golfing every, you know, day for eight hours a day. Work is a big deal in people's lives, you know, work consumes me for like eight to 10, 10 hours a day. Let's talk about that because I think that you, um, I've known you for a long time, and I think you function at a higher level, a higher vibration, if you actually have, um, if you have a piece of work that you're working on. And it doesn't have to be eight hours a day, and it doesn't have to be every day, but you working right. on something gives you a deeper sense of purpose. So Yeah, um, that's, that's right. Yeah. So, um, but the, the interesting thing here, John, is, is that you actually have total freedom for the very, very first time. There is no right. financial obligation, and there is no obligation to um, meeting a standard. Um, your right. standards of excellence are really, really high, and you really are somebody who is, has more knowledge and is, is more technically advanced than most people would really encounter. So let me take you through a few ideas. The first thing is is that I think that you have interesting ability to work with people that are artists. That seems to be more fulfilling, whether they're wordsmiths or they are um, visual artists or they are, um, you know, physical artists. It does not right. matter. Artistry seems to really pull you in. Um, yeah, I that's true. I understand that because... You have to, in order to represent something accurately, you have to have the visual skills. And so you have visual skills and talents and movements to create um, the visual representation on film, so to speak, to just cut to that word, that you don't think about. So you, there's sort of like, and, and I don't mean this in a negative way, there's sort of like a disconnect between your gift your gift being your ability to capture visual movement in a way that is truly an accurate representation, and you have lost that feeling that happens when you actually lose yourself behind the camera and just totally become involved. You've taken that part of yourself for granted for such a prolonged Mm. period of time that you have forgotten how gifted that piece of you is. Um, The grind, the um, deadlines, uh, the teaching, all those things have sort of worn away at that. So the only way I see for you to come back into the process, because it is a learning curve, is one, make an agreement with yourself that, you don't actually have to meet anybody's standard about money. 
and that is a huge yeah. relief. Okay, and then the second piece is is to find incredibly worthy artists who really need their story. So it's it's documentary work, which is your area of expertise, because you have a, a great yeah. gift for being truly able to detach and just visually capture the most realistic, authentic part of the process, and then also to take and be involved in the arts. Because whenever you're involved with the arts, your chakras get charged, your prayers get met, your synchronicity falls into place. Your energy feels passionate, intense, alive, and it keeps you out of a stagnant pool of obsession and perfection. So... <laughs> so, um, uh, it's an interesting crossroad experience because I think this chapter in your life, I personally, as a psychic talking to you, John, think that this is your greatest chapter in your life where we see the most amazing aspect of your true artistry, where we come to understand you as a person who is able to take and put that camera right in front of your heart and go out there and just rip and tear until I feel like I'm not watching, but I'm actually there. And that's, oh, that's, my, dream. that's my dream for you. That's my wish for you. Yeah. That's my hope for Excellent. you. Yeah, so, um, and I just think my, you know, I should not say think, but I just feel what happened mm-hmm. was the grind of the work wore away at the beautiful oh, yeah. naivety and um, passion of immersing yourself. You know, artists, whether it's a visual artist or a gymnastic artist or it is a um, musical artist, they need somebody to document them. They, mm-hmm. they honestly and truly need that process. And what you get out of the process is, is that your artistry is seen, not because somebody has said they want it, but because you have the freedom to pick and choose and you're not obligated to anyone for any right. at any time. That's so, exciting, yeah. I think you hit the word crossroads. That's what it feels like because, you know, I was prepared for a career for all these years and I did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty, you know, pretty specialized. I mean, I didn't, it was always video production, film production, and pretty much nonfiction. Um, you know, not film, not film, film. So now I'm kind of branching, you know, out and seeing what what's out there. So I, that's exciting. Oh, good. Really, really good. So, you know, I mean, in this conversation, I mean, I think, I think the the key process for me in observing you is is that you are a visionary your process is completely visual and that it doesn't really translate to words and you figured out a way to translate the mechanics of the process to your students and you're an exceptional teacher for decades I mean what a difference you made and talk about some of the people that you worked with as students and where they went and who they are today, because that's a very interesting success. Yeah, they uh, there are a number of students. Uh, 
probably Brianna Keeler at CNN is the biggest name that most people know because she's a she's the uh, you know Washington reporter. She's the new Wolf Blitzer, if you will, for CNN. So Brianna Keeler was one of my students many years ago. But then I had a Sabrina Scherf, who's in Hamilton now on Broadway. So oh, she wow. was. She I worked with her, and um, there was another, you know, student who. There are a number of actors that I worked with, who you know were coming up, and they were in drama, and we worked together on a show that I produced called Diablo Heat. And they loved to do that. And we had comedy and we had, you know, news segments. And it was just a perfect fit for high school. And uh, and then my son Matthew is was with this. He's a filmmaker and he's with Facebook. He was with Facebook and now he's with another company that does uh, these kiosks all over the world. Uh for marketing and advertising, so he helps produce the videos for those. And I don't know. I mean, I I I I don't know where all my students ended up. They're they're certainly editors in Hollywood, and um, they we work at Disneyland. One's a food manager at Disneyland, and you never know, you know. Um, so it's been it's. That that was a reward in itself that I never, kind of like an adventure, you know, that was my second career. So now maybe it's my third career without, like you said, the restraints of uh, money and, you know, demands and all that. I can ex- explore something else if I want to. You know, I don't want to go out and make more videos, that's for sure. But something I'm really interested in would with like the drumline thing was interesting. So uh, we'll see. You know, it's exciting. Yeah. You never quite yeah. know because, I mean, I never thought of myself as a teacher. But then when it started, I thought, wow, this is a pretty nice fit. So so you have a great love of animals and you have, yeah. um, you have, you have beautiful, you have three really exceptional, beautiful kittens in your house, in your home, in your family. And um, thanks, thanks to you though you helped them. You 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 whatever you did, you fed them, milked them, <laughs> nursed nursed them. I guess. Yeah, I um. Yeah. We we found you were ready. You were ready for a new kitten family. And oh uh, my gosh, they're so healthy. All clean and perfect and beautiful. I know they're home. very well bottle fed. They were so, you know, they were, and we feed them Strong. good food, so that's good. But yeah, they're exceptional cats. I love them. So, so just just in a conversation here, um, you know, like you said, you know, your process of documenting the things that are going on, you know, you do have a great love of. Of your animals, so yeah, I'm thinking they might be they might be one of your um, one of your just for fun uh, videos because because um, there is no cat faster than Jet, and even when he was (laughs) you know just a couple of weeks old, he was still the he was the fastest one, and then he's grown up and he still remains the fastest one. So, um, 
that's uh, his name, Jet. 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 Yeah. He jets. Um, he definitely jets. So, um, and it really was a courageous decision to take the kittens in. Uh, yeah. They, they were three of them, and they were born in the wilderness. They were feral. I know. Wow. So, um, and they are interesting uh, cats. They have free range in your house. And um, yeah. it, is inter- it is interesting to see the full personality emerge when the human restraints have been lifted. Yeah. So um, we have a, you know, they're a lot of fun, and I I enjoy you know taking care of them and the other cats too. So yeah, who knows where I could take some? You know, I mean the internet's filled with these little cat videos <laughs> that yeah people. <laughs> Put on. They love, you know. People seem to love those animal films. So, yeah, uh, that's something to, to explore. You're right. Yeah. So, this is how I see your story as your friend, John. This is how I see it. I see it as you're a person who has been on a journey um, to, you know, bring who you are as an artist into an authentic place, and you have taken this journey to many places. I mean, when you went to Korea and you filmed the Olympics there, I mean, that was a completely life-changing experience. Um, Talk about that for a minute, please. Oh, that was, uh, yeah, in Seoul, Korea, that was 1988, some time ago, but uh, in fact, uh, uh, hopefully the uh, Japan is hosting the Olympics this summer and it's uh you know it's quite a it's quite a event to be a part of because it's like we had 180 countries that come together and 180 flags have to be found you know you don't think of 180 national anthems have to be organized and uh and then of course I was with NBC, so we were featuring the American, um, you know, athletes. But uh, around the world, you know, each country has their own special athletes they're proud of. And it gives you a real, you know, different perspective. Um, And a little country like Korea was so proud to host the Olympics. You know, they went all out, their military contributed and you know they they really because no one thought they were very worried whether a little country could you know have the resources to hold but they did and they had all these they have to have like 30 different venues you know when you think about it gymnastics and tennis and you know soccer and uh of course track and field is the you know highlight of it that's the main feature but basketball and baseball there's all kinds of sports rowing and canoeing and you know kayaking you know and you don't think of i never thought of that many sports but boy here i was you know having to cover them all and uh you take you know and you get to know of course i didn't in seoul i didn't understand a word (laughs) of uh, (laughs) korean and I look at buildings that, you know, you look like at least in, I don't know, France, you could kind of make out the language. 
not in Korea, not in Asian countries. I look up at a building, I'd have no idea what it was, you know, with the symbols. But it was, um, it expanded my horizons, of course, because you, you're, you're a guest, and you know, people don't like Americans all over the. Sometimes they're, you have some. We, we uh, embarrassed actually that Koreans lost the. Boxing match, and I was—I uh, don't know—we stayed with the loser, you know. It was like NBC covered it too long, and so Korea. The next morning, Korea was uh, really upset with with us as Americans, you know. Here I am mm-hmm. going to work on the subway, and you know I'm the only American there, white Caucasian guy, and um, everybody's looking at me like. Who are you? Why you know you're one of those guys? So, you know, fast I had to learn what we were doing and how to read the papers and you know know what what because they they have a special perception, you know, perspective. Mm-hmm. It's the host country, and of course they want to win their events, and um, it it just broadens your horizon so much. Plus the you know the food. I love the food, kimchi and bulgogi and all kinds of new experiences I'd never had, you know, that kind of uh, menu before. So it it was exciting. It it mm-hmm. certainly is. So what I like about what you described there is that even though there were some things that were um, about saving face uh, for the Korean culture, right. I didn't want to be presented as losers, you still experienced an enormous amount, and it really did change you as a person because in a different culture where you can't even read what's on the buildings or even understand the language even in part because you can't read that language, you were really humbled, and you still did your work and were focused on being the artist and being receptive to the new experience. That's an interesting um, comment because a lot of people under those circumstances, you know, obviously they would fall apart in certain areas of their life. They <laughs> would, you know, um, they'd become germophobic, they'd become paranoid. I mean, a lot of things could emerge. But for you, the challenge was met and you grew from that experience and you saw things from their perspective. So, and especially the opening ceremony, opening, closing, but you know, ceremonies are such an artistic presentation with their music and dance and colors. That's all I remember, all the colors, the Korean colors. And they just were outstanding, you know, because I'd done the 84 games four years earlier, and it was kind of a Western theme and, you know, our, our exploring how we we developed as a country and the Wild West and Hollywood and all that. You know, it was right. very much part of that opening ceremonies. And then four years later, uh, so I've always, you know, liked the Olympics, and we'll see what um, Japan uh, has in store. Of course, their okay. technology is outstanding, so they'll be doing some wonderful creative stuff. John, I'm going to take and tell you thank you so much, and please. Oh, you're um, welcome. And it was fun. What, a great conver- what a great conversation, and I really appreciate you being authentic, open, honest, and available for this dialogue. 
and um, of course you're dear to my heart. But yeah, thank you for doing this with me. It was really it was very. Well, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you very much, John. Have a good day. Enjoy the day. Thank you very much. What a great conversation because <clears throat> John's John's the the most uh, talented. Uh, documentary videographer um, I know and he's just really incredibly talented and who John is doesn't really emerge until you put him behind a camera and then he becomes the camera and he takes and is able to film straight from his heart so um, it's an amazing transformation to watch and to observe what he's able to capture so, um, and I am really happy for him because it's the first time in his life that he's truly free of all constraints and has an opportunity to pursue his spiritual, humanitarian, and artistic goals without any restraint. So it is, um, it's a pleasure. It's just truly a pleasure to be able to sit back and observe and let's see what emerges because I know greatness is behind it and I know more talent is behind that and I know more artistry will emerge. So that has been, um, for me personally, has been a great, great thing to observe. <clears throat> and although he is sort of soft-spoken about it, um, there's an entire um, community of people in Southern California from Mission Viejo High School that were changed, motivated, and became part of uh, that process of film and media simply as the result of having him as a teacher. So that's the conversation for today. Um, and I do see John uh, as a humanitarian, a person who wants to change the world, make the world a better place, and make a contribution as an artist in order to make it happen. So I've got another person who's going to join me. It's the same. It's another story about the journey and what happens on the journey. And so I'm just going to wait until she tells me hello. And I am all set. And um, this is a different journey. And uh, I, went on, I went on a trip to Africa twice. And I have to tell you, if you're thinking about doing it, if you follow the rules and you follow the guidelines, you're perfectly safe there. And um, I've got Kelly with me. Kelly, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Good. You did something extraordinarily exciting uh, for your honeymoon, which is traditionally an English custom but you did it with your husband. Please share with my audience your great honeymoon. Yeah, so um, probably prior to us even being engaged, we had both discussed that um, doing safari in Africa was a bucket list, um, okay. especially what's going on with the global climate crisis and everything that is impacted by that. We wanted to ensure that we got to see a lot of these beautiful animals in their natural habitat um, while they were still around. Um, so we decided that um, in lieu of gifts for our wedding that we would do um, a honey fund for our dream vacation to Africa. Um, we were able to spend three weeks in Tanzania 
where we visited um, three different safari um, national parks. And then we were able to go to uh, the island of Zanzibar, where we spent about a week there. And um, it was more amazing than I could have even ever imagined or expected. And um, it's a trip that my husband and I joke that we'll be talking about until we die. Okay. Okay. So... um Tell, tell my tell my listening audience a little bit about your life because um, when you told me when I found out from my daughter that you were taking this trip, I said, um, Kelly will never be the same. This trip will transform her in a way that is very, very deep. And she as a person will look at the world differently. So sort of talk about, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways you have, you have um, you have a story in your life about education and where you lived, and so talk about that just real brief. Yeah, so I'm from um, Southern California, born and raised, and um, I went to school um, to become an attorney, and I um, was able to finally reach that goal, and it was not without trials and tribulations, and so it was definitely. Um, you know, that was one of the biggest um, accomplishments that I've had in my life um, up until this point. And after um, I had passed the bar, we had decided that it was time to get married and um, move forward with our life and family planning. But we wanted to make sure we got to do this um, amazing trip prior to um, starting a family. And so we, um, we knew that it would impact us just because of the nature of the journey. You know, it, it takes a very long time to get out there. It's a difficult journey. Um, and we didn't really know what to expect. I only have um, had Suzanne and one other friend that I've known that has traveled to Africa um, that I personally know. And so we, we did not really know what to expect. And so um, we got there and I our minds were absolutely blown away by the um, the sense of welcoming that we felt, the way that the people treated us. Um, a lot of these people have so little, but their outlook on life is so much more positive than um, people in the United States. Um, one of my favorite memories was watching, we were in, in Zanzibar, and um, these two young children, their mother owned a shop right next to the hotel we were staying at, and... Um, in like a little gift shop and um, they were playing with sand as their toy and they would throw it up in the air and run away um, and see if they could run away before the sand would fall on them and I just remember thinking that they have so little and I've never seen two kids smile and laugh so much before mm-hmm. in my lifetime and um, it really refocuses your life on what's important um, what you can live without um, and really what truly makes you happy um, along the way in life because I think that there's a lot of focus um, in Western culture on things um, versus experiences and memories. And I just know that um, every day we would pinch ourselves and just say, is this really happening? Are we really seeing this? Did we really just see these things? And um, we cried a lot because it was so beautiful. And every day we just went to bed with this sense of we are so fortunate to get to experience these people in this place and um, you never come back the same and your worldview is not the same. And the appreciation and gratitude I have for the people who hosted us while we were there is 
immeasurable. And we're still in contact with our safari guide. We spent um, a week with him. And so day in and day out, we traveled with him by car everywhere. And we consider him a brother now. And, um, you know, we will be fortunate enough if we can get back there, um, you know, in the future. So I, I went into uh, the countryside of Rwanda, Africa, into a zone called Jiseni, which is the little border crossing into the Congo, um, less than uh, one kilometer to the Congo, actually directly into the Congo. And what I was struck by, and it sounds so odd, I was struck by how oxygen-rich the air was, the smell of the air, the feeling of the air was just, it was really transforming. When I sit back and I think about that, when I would step outside and I would just take a deep breath, I was like, what is this? Because there's, you know, there's no cars, there's no pollution, um, it's just, there's no plastic bags. Um, there's just the power of your feet to take you from one spot to the next, the rain that comes out of the sky and waters the vegetables, which are then carried into um, a person's kitchen and prepared for you. So it is such a simple and direct life. I was struck by people's generosity, hospitality, kindness, and how safe I felt the entire time, Um, which when you're talking about it, you know, it was an incredibly warm, loving environment where it was it was perfectly safe. I, I 100% agree. I actually felt more safe leaving my passport um, in my wallet and um, our tents um, unlocked there than I would um, walking around in Southern California. Um, people there, I think, have a lot more respect for one another, and they just... As long as they can bring a smile to your face, their their day seems to be made. And it's silly because the saying from the Lion King, Akuna Matata, I didn't really think that they said said that there. And they actually do. And it's something they live by. And it's no problem. Nothing is a problem there. And um, I just felt that everyone that we met, um, you know, we, they had a really big impact on our lives. And we, in turn, had um, a big impact on several people's lives, too. And they would pull us aside and just say, thank you so much for you know, sharing your experiences with us and talking to us um, about your own lives and asking us questions about our lives. And it was just one of those, it, it was just a magical experience. And I, I personally encourage anyone who has the means to get there to do it because it is not like, I've traveled quite a bit, and it is not like anywhere else in the world that I've been. And it is my absolute most favorite place that I've ever been in my life. So, Catherine told me a story, and you haven't actually ever told me this story, so I kind of, tell us the story about the monkeys in the village. Please tell us that little story. Um, yeah, so when we first arrived, um, we, we arrived in, um, we flew into Kilimanjaro, and we drove to Arusha, which um, we stayed on a coffee plantation the night before our safari started, and um, the next morning, our guide picked us up, and we had had breakfast that morning, and there was a bunch of vervet monkeys that were all around the property, and there was a bunch of avocado trees, and so they were eating these avocado trees, and um, it was just, for me, it's the most insane thing ever because I'm a huge animal lover, but I've only ever really seen these animals 
behind cages and at zoos. And so Mm -hmm. uh, my husband and I were um, with our cameras and we were out um, taking some photos of these monkeys and they let you get very close to them. And so um, I'm just freaking out the whole time because it's just, you know, the start, it was the start of our safari and it was still at the the hotel. And um, we go to get in the truck with our safari guy, Cornell, and we start talking with him as we're driving through the countryside and we're, we're passing all of the um, Maasai huts and um, we're having a conversation about um, kind of differences. And um, I was saying to him, you know, this morning has already been so crazy because all of those monkeys are, they're just everywhere. And he said, what do you mean? And I was like, there's, there was monkeys everywhere at breakfast this morning and it was just the coolest thing to see. And he said, what do you mean? You don't have monkeys in Long Beach? And I said, well, we do, but you're not going to see them walking around in, in the open. And he was like, oh, that's weird. And my only response in my head was, no, this is weird. But it was the first time you realize with a stark contrast, our two worlds are. Um, he also had asked laugh. me, I'm sorry? It just makes me want to laugh really hard. Well, yeah, and he, <laughs> yeah, we were driving past these Maasai huts, and you see all these young children on the side of the road, and they're herding their their goats and their cattle, and you know this is um, that's their wealth, and so every day they take them to feed and they take them to water, and it's these young children, you know, some of them three, four years old with um, their Maasai sticks, and they're they're herding these cattle, and um, we were driving past, and it was just miles and miles of this, and. Um, he asked me, he said, do the houses in your community look like this? And he's talking about the, the straw huts. And I said, no. Um, and I didn't really know how to respond to that because I wanted to be as respectful as I could. But it was another example of just how different our worlds are. And, um, you know, these people that are, are living in these, these um, straw huts, that it's part of their culture, they're Maasai. And um, they live with so little and they're just they're so incredibly happy and they know no different. And it was just one of those things where every single day you just, you count your blessings that you were, you were fortunate enough to be able to go on this type of trip and not just go on this type of trip, but actually get to interact with locals and not just stay at these, um, you know, five-star hotels, which is what a lot of people do when they're on safari is they go and they don't interact with any people. They, um, they stay in their comfort zone and we went completely out of our comfort zone and, it was probably the most fun experience of that trip was getting to meet these local people and sitting down with actual Maasai warriors. And, you know, with broken English and our few Swahili words, we know, trying to talk to them about differences. And it was just, I mean, the most incredible life-changing experience that I've ever had. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll dream about it and think about it forever. Wow. Yeah, that's that's what I would say. Going into Africa would completely transform your world view because um, it's, it's, it's where all of mankind originated from and the civilization and the cultures um, are dying out and it's simply centered on greed, people wanting something from that country and that country is you know, sitting in a position with some of the most precious resources of human life, animal life, and um, they are a very, very rich people, and they're very, very happy. And it's, um, it's just such a stark contrast to um, Western thinking. So um, what, a, what a really... So 
I got to ask you because I have my own travel story. Um, how, um, <clears throat> if you don't mind telling us, uh, how long did it actually take you to depart from your home to the airport and from the airport to the um, next part of your journey? Um, so we we flew out of LA and um, we. We got to the airport in enough time, so it was, you know, two hours at L.A., and then it was a 16-hour direct flight to Dubai. We spent a night in Dubai, and then it was a six-hour flight to um, Dar es Salaam, Um, and then it was a one-hour flight to Kilimanjaro, and then it was a three-hour drive from Kilimanjaro to Arusha, where we stayed, um, and then we stayed in Arusha that night, and then it was a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Arusha to Tarangere National Park, which was where we actually started our journey. So it was a lot. <laughs> On the way home, it was about 27 hours of uh, nonstop travel. Right. Okay. So um, I started out in uh, Dana Point, California. I went to LAX, and from LAX I went to... Um, Istanbul, and in Istanbul, my connecting flight to Rwanda was um, missed. It was the um, my flight, and that was a um, two-hour drive to LAX, and it was a uh, two-hour wait, and then it was a eighteen-hour uh, flight into Istanbul, and then it was a twenty-four-hour wait in order to catch the next plane because the, the plane going into Rwanda only left once you know, once a day, and then uh, into Rwanda. I got into Rwanda, and it was an eight-hour flight, and it was uh, 2 a.m., so I couldn't catch the bus out to the countryside, and the bus ride out to the countryside was four hours, and then the ride in the taxi was, uh, when I got to the small border crossing, was probably about 30 minutes, and then there was no other way to get to my destination, except for to walk in the end and to drag my suitcases with me. So um, it is definitely for the person who is sincere in their heart, in their intention to get out and see that. The other part of your story that I really love, Kelly, is the part where your husband proposed to you. And if you would love to share that with our um, listeners today, I would love for you to tell that, that story. Yeah, so that actually, um, that was, God, I think it was like four years ago right now, but um, we were actually up in Salinas, California. Um, Uh His brother was at a conference, and we decided to take a road trip up to Monterey to go to the aquarium. Um, Most of our travel has to do with animals, and so we wanted to go up and see that beautiful aquarium. And so um, the one had crashed um, when that big mudslide had happened, so we couldn't get to our our destination. And so he said... um, would you mind staying um, at a zoo for a night? And I said, I mean, do you know me? Of course not. Let's stay at a zoo. Um, So he rented a room at this place called Vision Quest um, Bed and Breakfast. And um, it is a private zoo owned by a family that um, a lot of their animals that they have uh, came about have come from either circuses or animals that are too old. Um, A lot of them, they're kind of sad stories, but they kind of, shelter all of these animals and they've built this like beautiful property. And so um, one of the benefits of staying at this particular zoo was that they only have 
10 tents on the property and um, in the morning elephants bring you your breakfast. Um, I didn't really know what that meant. And so um, the night before we had gone and um, elephants have been one of my favorite animals my whole life and um, I'd never actually gotten to touch one. And so the night before um, he had scheduled a, they called it um, bedtime with Buck, which was their giant bull elephant they had there. And um, what we got to do is we got to go in and feed him his bedtime snack and um, walk him to his, his, um, the place where he slept. And so that night I got to touch an elephant for the first time and I was just absolutely in love. And it was one of those, Oh my God moments of my life. And he has a picture of me the first time I got to touch um, his tusks and the smile on my face is huge. And so I went to bed that night thinking this could not get, any better and lo and behold about 3 a.m. Um, I am woken up by my at the time boyfriend and he cannot sleep and um, he woke me up and I said you know I can sleep why are you waking me up and he said I can't um, and all we could hear in the background was the lions roaring so it was just one of those insane moments and I said okay well I'm going to go to bed because we have a big day we, we're actually getting to do a private tour of the zoo the next day and so um, we went to bed, and the next morning we got up, and he was kind of hurrying me to get ready, and he was telling me to curl my hair and all. And I'm like, I don't, I'm meeting an elephant. I don't know why this matters. And then I was watching him put a camera on top of our tent, and he was acting very bizarre, and I knew something was up. And so um, he's kind of fussing around with everything that morning, and um, then, you know, it's our turn for breakfast. And so you see um, – it was Christy and Paula were the elephants' names. You see them walking up, um, and I have very bad vision. And so I could not really see what was going on, but I could see the elephants because obviously they're gigantic. And as the elephants start walking up, it kind of, my vision gets a little bit more clear. And Christy, um, the elephant, is holding a chalkboard that says um, on her tusks that says, will you marry me? And so obviously I break down into tears, and this whole thing is on film. Um, so we got to watch it, and I ugly cried for about five minutes on camera. Um, and then right after we got engaged, we called our families and our, our friends, and then um, we ended up going to get a private tour of the zoo, and we got to bathe one of the elephants. So that kind of solidified that we had to do safari for our um, honeymoon. And then this is just a side story, and I don't know if Catherine had told you this, but our first day, because elephants are just such a huge part of my life, and people always – give me things that are elephants. Um, every birthday, holiday, I get elephant stuff. Um, and our first day in Parangari, I told our guide, Cornell, that my trip would be made if I got to see an elephant. And he kind of joked because um, Parangari is known for their elephants. They have the highest population of elephants in Tanzania. And so um, we, I see off in the distance an elephant, and so I, I yell to him to drive over there. And... Um, he drives over there, and we see um, two elephants coming over a hill. And as they start coming over the hill, we start noticing there's a lot more behind them. And so we're parked, because in all the national parks, we must stay on the roads. And so we're parked on the road, and the elephants start coming closer to us. And um, as they're coming closer, it's first it's two, and then it's five. And then all of a sudden, there's about 25 elephants. And it's this yeah. family of elephants walking towards us. And they walk... Um, over to this tree and our, our guide pulls us up at this point we're the only safari car around there right now our guide pulls us up right next to as close as comfortably you can get to these elephants and we start noticing that um they are picking up the 
dirt from the ground and they're they're spraying themselves with it and there's you know young babies and then there's bull elephants and there's mothers and it's this whole huge family and um, our guide tells us our guide's been um, doing safari for over 10 years and he tells us that uh, two months prior one of the family members from that elephant family had um, passed away and because it was so close to the road the rangers had to burn the elephant because um, they don't interfere. Rangers don't interfere with any of the wildlife in the national parks. Um, but this was going to cause, um, you know, scavenger animals to come. And it was too close to the road for that to be comfortable for them. So they had burned this elephant. And so what these elephants were actually doing was that they were bathing themselves in the ashes of their dead family members. And Cornell told us that every time they passed this spot, they stop there and they spend about an hour there. And even the young babies, um, pull up the ash and they, they essentially bathe themselves in the ash and it's their, um, it's like them, you know, giving thanks to this elephant and um, they do that and then they walk away. And it was one of the most, he told us that he had only seen it ever happen once before and it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life. And me and my husband are both bawling, crying at this point because it was watching one of the smartest animals on the planet grieve its own family members in the same way that we would, where you would go to a grave site, you know? And so it was, it was stuff like that that continued to happen on our trip. And at the end of our trip, our guide ended up telling us that he believed that the animals brought themselves to people who had good intentions for the animals and that some people can go on safari and not see half as many things as we did, but because of our love and our heart for the animals that they, the animals were bringing themselves to us. So it was just one of those spiritual awakenings that, you know, you kind of get what you give, you get what you put out in the universe. And so he believed that all the, all the crazy things that we got to see on this trip were as a result of who we were as people and our love and caring and passion for these animals. Cool. Consciousness, animal consciousness changes the dynamic of responsibility. We don't have the right to slaughter the animals because they have consciousness and we can no longer use the excuse that we are man. And it, it is interesting because it has taken an evolutionary cycle of awareness for us to come to the place of understanding that we're not the only creatures on the planet with consciousness. And that's a direct demonstration. You know, you see it with the whales, you see it with the dolphins, you see it with the elephants. I mean, you see it in every animal um, civilization. It is our ignorance that has blinded us to that awareness. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your story with us. And I'm hoping that I've got um, somebody to do um, an astrology conversation with us today. So um, you're welcome to stay and listen, Kelly. I think you might enjoy it. All right. Well, thank you, Suzanne. Have a great day. You, you're, you're welcome to stay and listen. I think you'll know the person okay. who's going to do the... Yeah, you'll listen. So let's... Uh, um, let's get Katharina on the line here. Um, Hi, Kelly. Uh, Hi, Mom. Hey, Katharina, there you are. What are you? So I'm sorry, I kind of. I had. Go ahead. Hi. So it's so funny because um, you know my mom and I don't discuss like who she's having on the podcast, and every time I come on, I'm I'm like have my notes out to like talk about <clears throat> the astrological aspects that are happening, and then there's always a theme that emerges from the people. She talks to, and that applies to what's going on with our astrology. So I love it because I didn't even know she was talking to you or to John today and about your travel experiences. And so 
Um, there's two themes that kind of emerged. We're coming at the end of Mercury retrograde. For those of us, oh you know, God. talked about Mercury <laughs> retrograde last time. It is over on the 9th. Just white knuckle through it. We're almost at the end. But this Mercury retrograde has really been about rewiring the brain and rebirth and using our intuition and what happens to us on these great travel experiences that Kelly and John described. But, you know, the rewiring of their brain, these new experiences, this spiritual rebirth and you always use intuition during your travel so i love how those stories really illustrated those themes for us today um as we're kind of traveling through a lot of this energy this intense energy during uh during mercury retrograde for me it's been really intense emotionally i've witnessed a lot of death and rebirth and um, i'm sure a lot of people if you're really sensitive are feeling it so it's almost over. Now, what happens at the end, which dials up, I think, the intensity a little bit, is this Virgo new moon that starts on wow. March 9th. And Virgo's ruling planet is, Mer- is Mercury. So with these two energies back-to-back, we're really going to be able to see the bigger picture. Um, and as you know, you know, Virg- you know, Mom and I always talk about how Virgos are best when they're doing humanitarian work. And so mm-hmm. I love that these stories also brought the humanitarian aspect, um, you know, into travel, going to these other countries where they were able to, you know, just see this radical way of life and how it's so different to how we live here. So um, this new moon or this full moon, excuse me, is um, going to all be all about acceptance and for Virgo, that's really hard. If you're a Virgo, you know that you're you're really critical. You're really a perfectionist. Um, and the thing is, is they're really great detail-oriented hard workers, Virgos, but they get caught up in the details. And so they're just hard on themselves. So, um, you know, this, this full moon is going to be shining light on things that feel foggy or unclear and really just giving us a path where we're able to come into our own strength and inner wisdom um, that we have the power to heal ourselves. You know, moons are always um, healing energy, I think. A new moon or a full moon, it's always a lot of energy. So it's great because it's um, a new start to the astrological year that all this happens, right? We've got, excuse me, the spring equinox later this month. So, um, yeah, it's just like a nice, you know, we get to this Mercury retrograde, which I like to call our spring cleaning. We come into this full moon, which is all about acceptance. And so just using a lot of that energy to kind of clear and go into the spring equinox um, and just, yeah, just start a new astrological year. So wow. Okay. It's so, a lot happening this month. But, oh, and the other piece was that Neptune is active during this full moon. And so we're trying to work from the heart and keep our ego in check. And so I love that, you know, keeping your ego in check as you travel to these new countries, really these humbling travel experiences kind of just gives like a, almost like a fable story to what we kind of need to keep in check. You know, we learn from fables. So I like that these stories were really able to put this astrological information into perspective for all of us, hopefully. Oh, that's a great. That's a great analogy. The deep psychic reading at gmail.com if you want to write to me. Phone number 714-473-84. And this is Suzanne Wyman, the deep psychic. 
ladies, thank you for joining me today. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for the astrological update. And Kelly, thank you for being authentic, honest, and vulnerable in your story. It was fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Become a Goldilocks Productions VIP patron. Receive exclusive access to live stream special and other epic packs. Join the Goldilocks Productions VIP community today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.